DKS7 is powered by Meme Global, a video marketing and advertising solution for entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to the Digital Kung Fu Show, a podcast and video cast for startup founders and entrepreneurs. Even if you're alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs across the world hustling today's markets. At Digital Kung Fu, we have one goal, to help entrepreneurs succeed in their ventures through information sharing, digitally connecting them with other entrepreneurs, and by dissecting and deconstructing the world's leading business minds right here on this show. Remember, you can view the full show notes on our website at digitalkungfu.co. .za or tweet this show using our handle at digital kung fu za or follow us on facebook.com slash digital kung fu za the link between creativity innovation and business performance is largely misunderstood innovation by big brands is largely claimed but few undertake innovation and even fewer in the context of startups put innovation at the core of their business. In order to understand the context within which innovation lives in business today, I've reached out to Fred Rote, the CEO of Worldwide Creative based in Cape Town, South Africa. Fred is also probably one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, um, but he's also incredibly knowledgeable. And in this episode, we really uncover how disruptive innovations are redefining the business landscape in emerging markets in Africa. So if you are interested in disrupting your market, whether that's an established market or a new market, this episode is one not to be missed. So without further ado, enter Fred Rote. Welcome back to another installment of the Digital Kung Fu Show. My name is Matt Brown, and in today's show, we are going to explore the subject of creativity and innovation in business, and with one of South Africa's heavy hitters in the digital marketing space. He is the current CEO of Worldwide Creative, a full-service digital agency based in Cape Town. And it's an agency which has worked with some pretty amazing brands, which include the likes of Hyundai, Independent Media, Virgin Mobile, R&B Private Banking, the Pashini Group, and many, many others. Um, what's very interesting also is that he's the co-founder of The Heavy Chef, uh, which is basically a platform for practical learning, where South Africa's digital community effectively collaborates and shares ideas and really learns from the top digital marketing influencers in the world and heads of agencies. Um, He's also the recipient of the 2015 Bookmarks Award for Best Individual Contribution to Digital Marketing. Not many people have that accolade. (laughs) Um, And he's also listed as one of Fast Company's top 100 creative people in business. So our guest in the hot seat today is Fred Rode. Fred, thanks so much for joining the call today, buddy. It's uh, great to have you in the hot seat. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute honor. Great. So let's jump straight into things. And for our viewers who don't know much about you personally, I guess, uh, unlike myself, <laughs> I'd like to start by setting a scenario. So if we met for the first time at, say, a dinner party and you only had 60 seconds to tell me who you are and what you do, what would you say? Um, sure. Well, I would say that I'm a... I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a speaker, I'm a writer, uh, I would say that I'm a heavy chef, and I would say that I'm a, a dad. I, um, I think that's pretty much a, a good summary of, of who I am and, and what I do and okay. what, I'm, what I'm interested in. Fantastic. So you've got 20 seconds left. That's a a great effort. Most guys overshoot that by several minutes. (laughs) Cool. So um, as we touched on in the intro, you're the co-founder effectively of two brands or businesses, uh, Worldwide Creative and Heavy Chef. Um, I'd like to focus on the latter for for now because the name Heavy Chef is quite a funny backstory to it, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I think it's it's a very organic story. It's it's a brand that we that came about out of uh, out of a, a meeting that I had about ten years ago now with a potential client. Is right in the beginning of the the uh, the agency's uh, history, and we we were at that stage tiny. We we didn't have any real sort of clients of weight, and we knew that in order to grow, we did need um, we needed basically a marquee brand to get us going. So across the road from our, our studio was, uh, was the Ferrari garage. And we knew that, you know, there's no bigger brand in the world than Ferrari or no, no brand that has more luster or allure than Ferrari. So I took a stroll across the road, knocked on the door. I met the marketing manager, the marketing manager for Ferrari South Africa at the time. And I basically said to the guy, listen, can I pitch our business to you? He said, look, you've got half an hour. You can, you can have a crack at it. I spent the first 20 minutes trying to explain to him all of the, the stuff that we did. And he didn't really say much. He just kind of listened to me. Uh, at the same time, he was uh, surreptitiously looking at his computer. And he was, he was actually checking out my, my site online and the stuff that I did. And he was doing a little bit of research. And um, after 20 minutes of staring at me poker-faced, he... Uh, he said to me, Fred, I never trust a skinny chef. It was the first time that I'd, I'd heard the, the, the saying. I mean, I'd never heard it before. And um, so I kind of looked at him. I, I said to him, well, what the hell do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, I've checked out your company. I've checked out your site. I've had a look at, you know, all your work. And you, you guys don't really do the stuff that you're trying to sell to me. So why should I trust you? Uh, you guys are, are skinny chefs. So I left the meeting very, very humbled, and I, I kind of had my tail between my legs. I chatted to my business partner, Mike, at the time. Uh, he was in the UK. I gave him a phone call, and I explained to him the, the nature of the meeting. And just in that meeting, we started talking about the question around how do we become heavy chefs? And it, it just sort of stuck. It, it kind of became organically part of our conversation we started thinking about right how does you know what's the next step how do we we evolve into being heavy chefs and and it um it just became a thing it became part of our philosophy and eventually it became a series of events that we held where we were inviting heavy chefs to come and speak to us and unpack the topics that they were they were essentially taste testing themselves or eating their own food and um and it's now become a site with videos similar to TED, I suppose. And we've got a magazine and we've got a, a whole content strategy around it. So, okay. yeah, it's, um, it's evolved. It's certainly evolved into something that we're quite proud of. Mm -hmm. Great. So I really love that analogy. And by the way, if anyone uh, is in Johannesburg, I think they're mainly in Johannesburg, right? Your events, Heavy Chef. Or they in Cape Town as well. They're in Joburg and, and Cape Town. Yeah, Joburg okay. and Cape Town. Yeah, so and they're, they're mentally. So... If it's interested, go to heavyshift.com. Yeah. yeah, definitely check that out, guys. Um, some amazing speakers uh, that, uh, you know, come through the rotation, the rotational speak sort of speaking frequency or calendar, I guess. Anyhow, um, so I think it's an interesting segue, segue, this whole Heavy Chef sort of context and lesson that you learned because it's um, something that, um, you know, I find that entrepreneurs or businesses largely claim in the market today, which is creativity and innovation. Um, but to, to kind of greater and lesser degrees is very few people that are actually really backing up 
their, uh, their kind of um, positioning, I guess, around creativity and innovation. But why, in your, in your view, is, is creativity and innovation in business and entrepreneurship uh, important? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Well, you know, it's wearing my worldwide creative hat, I suppose. I would say that, you know, we're an agency, we're a digital marketing agency, and the, the digital marketing industry is changing. First of all, the word digital is becoming a bit of an anachronism. It's no longer really relative because, or relevant because, you know, everything is becoming digital anyway, from TV to radio to, you know, print is evolving now where people are consuming the stories and articles from the news uh, in, in digital formats. And even outdoor is becoming digital. So, you know, the industry is, is evolving really quickly. And it's come from a model that's it used to be easy. Uh, it was also very scalable and therefore profitable for for agencies, uh, you know, from basically a decade, a decade and, and a decade ago and before. Yeah. We would be in a situation where we would get a brief from a client and we would have to formulate essentially one idea and we would then distribute that idea through four channels, yeah. only four channels to reach a huge consumer audience. Mm. Now, you know, with, uh, with the, the evolution, there are 400 channels and, and, and different routes and, and separate avenues to get, get to that consumer audience. Mm. So as an agency, we've got two choices. We can either become part of a, a, a much larger um, uh, machine that aims to to use the same model with the one idea through those 400 channels, but it requires a lot of scale. So all the agencies are sort of becoming part of one big conglomerate, I suppose, yeah. or we can specialize and we can start focusing and therefore become more in innovative and therefore partnering with our clients in that, in that innovation, because we know that business in this climate requires innovation in order to grow. Mm. And, um, and the second option is really the most exciting, the more exciting one, I think, mm. uh, and the more scalable one. And you're mm. seeing models of this around the world in businesses or agency businesses like IDEO, uh, Fahrenheit, um, RGA, and so on, really leading the way. Mm. Okay, that's really great. I think it's interesting the point that you touched on. Um, 
around the link between sort of uh, creativity and innovation because you know in the in business and the media the words creativity and innovation are used almost interchangeably uh, but some would say yeah. you know that you have to be creative in order to do innovative things others would say that others would say that you need to be uh, or kind of adopt innovative thinking um in order to be creative so both points of view are perfectly logical right so um but i don't think either really nails it in terms of what the interrelationship is between the two um so what is your take on the interrelationship between the two terms Yeah it's a great question I mean and I think they are definitely indelibly linked um but they're very different so it's like an old joke my dad used to tell me what's the difference between a flea and an elephant and he would say that you know an elephant can have fleas but a flea can't have elephants so I think you can be creative without being innovative you cannot be innovative without being creative So if we look at the etymology of innovation borrow which means to renew or restore or to um to to change or alter established practices so from a business context um it's really important that we understand that it means to effect positive change or or to make things better simpler and ultimately more profitable and there's there's um it's that ideation and creativity that leads to the the innovation mm-hmm. uh which is so important in business today cool so let's unpack innovation for a second there are obviously different types of innovation different schools of thought different types of theoretical kind of or theories that talk sure. to the, the impact that innovation has um but uh, you know there's obviously disruptive innovations sustaining innovations efficiency innovations and so forth um but largely innovation uh and especially disruptive innovation you know there's that term disruption again you know it's disruption innovation creativity they all kind of loosely play yeah. in the same ballpark you know um but disruptive innovation when it's focused at either the product or the business model for me has the bigger impact um but if you were to point to say um three brands that really kind mm-hmm. of walk the talk around innovation or disruption and creativity three brands or businesses that are truly innovating who would they be So I mean again a great question there's so many to choose from in this day because I I believe people are are being forced to think innovatively in order to grow their businesses otherwise they're just going to flatline I mean that's always been the case you always have to innovate I mean through the centuries we've seen this but now I think it's more important than ever before because of the sheer amount of competition uh, and disruption that's going on so internationally there's some very obvious choices where you you have companies like Apple and Google and You, you, know, you know, Facebook uh, investing in in VR and AR and, and Uber, for example, disrupting an entire industry. Uh, Slack, um, which are you know all great choices, but I think from a, an African context, there's some extraordinary companies doing some very innovative things. And I think you know, in my mind, the best example would be Discovery, which disrupted an, an unbelievably stayed and you know very uh clanky industry um you know in order to create something fresh and exciting and new and actually quite uh quite attractive for consumers where you would be rewarded for being healthy it's such mm-hmm. a simple idea yet it completely disrupted the industry and and, and you know in a, in a relatively short space of time when competing with 150 year old companies suddenly became you know the the leader Uh, by quite a long way yeah. in terms of the South African market. Mm-hmm. You've also got other companies like Econet, uh, which is you know a telecommunications company, and they're doing things like bringing solar energy to to power their customers' homes. 
Um, and then, you know, in Kenya, which has a really robust uh, mobile market, you've got guys like Safaricom, where they have taken, uh, you know, this their, their whole mobile environment, and they took a, a, a flawed, expensive, and somewhat corrupt system uh, of money transferring, wiring money, money, and you know, in some cases, mailing money, and you know, just just really clunky methodologies of of sending money across the country, and they made it inherently better. Now, I think seventy five percent. I may be mistaken, so we can fact check this later. But I think, as as far as I recall, you know, seventy five percent of all transactions in Kenya are done by um, Mpesa, mm-hmm. which is the uh, the solution that Safari came came up, Safaricom came up with, mm-hmm. uh, Mpesa mobile transactions. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's there's loads, there's loads of of examples in Africa doing some extraordinary, amazing things. Yeah, I would totally agree with you there. I think what's really interesting about discovery is the adoption of technology. So working with the internet of things, I guess, to kind of create better drivers and discount insurance premiums or by behaving better around or when you drive, I guess. Um, and, then also, and then also in Somalia, I was doing, or well, came across an article recently. Um, Somalia, interestingly, is turning into a completely cashless society because of the role of mobile in taking payments. So in other words, if you actually go to a market, uh, the majority of markets in Somalia, you can't actually pay with cash. At all, you can only pay using the mobile phone, which is basically it's a USSD sort of solution. It's very similar to Mpesa, but the adoption of technology in contexts where there's constrained consumption for for individual Africans, and I think you know when you look at Africa as a continent, there's so much opportunity for disruptive innovation, which basically is, is is a huge opportunity just to put a product in the hands. Not even a sexy product or not a singing and dancing product, but just a simple product that solves a very simple problem that gives an, a constrained user access to a new service or a value proposition. Which is exceptionally exciting. Yeah, it's fucking great. <laughs> and you don't find these opportunities in, uh, in developed economies, you know, so. No, no for sure. Yeah. It's we, really, we're leading the way. Yeah. You know, I mean, even in South Africa, you've seen SnapScan. You know, the uptick in usage of, of mobile technology for payments is growing at such a massive lick. Mm. And hopefully we'll soon see a cashless society. I mean, it's going to be, you know, I mean, it's obviously more convenient, it's more expedient and inherently safer. Yeah, totally agree. Um, let's talk about um, the link or, uh, yeah, that's right, the link between creativity and business performance. It's For me, it's quite an intangible thing to prove. And but that's just me. And I guess, depending on who you ask, there's always differences of opinion. Um, but in your expert opinion, is there a strong link between creativity and business performance? Undoubted. I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't think you even have to prove it with sheer stats. I think you can use logic, you know. Mm. We based the thrust of the content of our, uh, our third Heavy Chef magazine around that very topic, the I think the, t- the title of the, the theme was the exponential power of creativity because if you look at business and you look at the just the, you know, the bare bones basics of what's happening right now, we're living in a society, you know, it's the information age where there are trillions of signals being transmitted every month. Mm-hmm. So the very reality of that means that there's a lot of noise out there. And the only way to overcome and rise above the noise mm. is through creative thinking. We need to package messages in a 
in a more salient and more striking manner in order for it to be heard. Otherwise, it's just going to get lost. Therefore, advertising, which was a sheer way of, of, uh, of buying a market in the, in the old days, no longer works unless you can really think creatively or innovatively about how you first ideate, package, and then distribute that, that message. Okay. Um, I love the point that you made there about rising above the noise because there's so much bloody noise out there at the moment. It's amazing. Advertising even works full stop, you know, um, although it does, it's, you know, it's a, a very brash way to kind of describe it. But nonetheless, there's a lot of messages out there. Um, and to your point, creative advertising is a way to rise above the noise. But I think it would be valuable for our viewers to understand exactly what we mean by creative work or creative advertising. Um, are there a couple examples that you can share with us that can explain the term better? There's loads. I think in my mind, I think the, the most striking one, I would say creative work rather than creative advertising, but it's such a brilliant example of how a strong idea can have a huge impact is the, I mean, I think it's probably quite a cliche now because it's such a well-known case study, but it obviously springs to mind, uh, top of mind. It's um, the lucky fish, uh, the lucky iron fish um, example, which, you know, it was formulated not not even by an advertising agency. As far as I recall, it was the it was a group of Canadian health workers. So essentially, the um, the, the the premise of it was that in Cambodia they had. A, a, a significant problem with anemia, where 50% of the population were anemic. And the reason for that was because their diet consisted of, of essentially just really basic ingredients like fish and, and um, um, uh, mainly rice, actually. So what, um, what they thought of was this, it's essentially just a very simple uh, and unique Solution, which was to to use uh, and well, they, they created and then distributed an iron, a small iron block. The problem okay. with that was that you know it was a it was a functional solution. It wasn't a creative solution. So what these these health workers came up with after doing a little bit of research was to um, I suppose their insight was to to identify a. Um, a, a unique connection with the Cambodian people, which in, their, in this particular instance was the, the symbol of a fish, okay. which was essentially a, a symbol of health and vitality. And once they did that, all of a sudden, you, you know, they started using this little fish. The idea was, was pretty much to drop the fish, this little iron fish, into their cooking pots and to boil it for 10 minutes with their rice and whatever food uh, food they were they were eating yeah. and through that simple solution they were receiving again we're going to have to fact check the the stats but as far as i recall it was over 50% of their daily iron intake that they required in order to overcome anemia so wow. i um, i just love that idea because it was a global problem uh, which required, you know, I think a little bit of creative thought to to come up with just a really incredibly efficient and powerful solution. 
Awesome. That's a really great story. I must actually do some, uh, some fact checking on that. Uh, <laughs> I might want to repeat that. That's quite an interesting way to, to kind of address the subject that we're talking about. So, um, there's a great quote by Joseph Pierce where it says to live a creative life, we must lose our fear of being wrong. And for entrepreneurs, I think that saying is incredibly relevant. So when it comes to designing creative work and associated advertising, what practical and easy to apply tips do you have for, pe- for entrepreneurs when it comes to approaching the creative process? Uh, with a view to coming up with creative work that's really going to market uh, or work in their category? Yeah, I, I mean, I really like that question. I think it's, in my, in my mind, it's easier to be creative when your, your canvas is smaller. So in other words, you know, if you give a creative team or a team that's looking for a creative solution, a canvas that's blank and limitless, it's going to be very difficult to fill that with practical, efficient uh, creative solutions in order to, to resolve your problems. So the first thing that, that certainly we at Worldwide Creative do is try and, and define the canvas that, that you're working within. So what that means effectively is, first of all, try and identify what is the actual problem that you're trying to, you're trying to resolve. So really button it down, get to the, the sort of the focused set of um, of criteria that that you're looking at when when identifying the problems mm. you you need to apply the correct methodology of research and and from our perspective i mean obviously it's uh, it's easier now more than ever to to initiate research on pretty much any subject from you know anywhere but i think without I mean, over and above just using the internet to do your research, I think what, what really makes, you know, the, the, the stuff that we do uh, just a little bit more special is that we, we actually go and do to the, the, into the heart of the business that you're trying to, you're trying to partner with and, and speak to the guys who are right at the coalface. So not at executive level, but, you know, speak to Frank, who's operating the forklift and, you know, ask him about what are the supply chain problems, what are the distribution problems, what are the manufacturing problems that he's he's facing, so that you can actually go back to the the executive level and um, and actually apply that that knowledge and and in terms of setting up the the ideas that you come up with. So it's really about asking as many questions as possible and not just doing it online, not just doing the research, you know, in a digital manner, actually going and speaking to real people yeah. about real problems that they're facing. Uh-huh. Okay. Awesome, man. Um, I want to talk about this category points a little bit more because for me, I think it's an interesting one because let's take the luxury category, for example, right? So, some would argue that yeah. no, no matter how creative an ad is in the luxury category, only people who can afford it can buy it. Um, what would you say to something like that? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's an interesting point. I think, Matt. I think the the um, the example that I can think of is is going back to the heavy chef story in Ferrari. I mean, you know, we we eventually actually got the business, so we came back and we <laughs> were persistent and we. <laughs> you know, we, we turned things around. We came back with a, a kick-ass website, and which, uh, which initiated a five-year relationship with them. But we, um, you know, the insight that I gained from working with Ferrari in South Africa, which actually was quite a small client, despite how big their their brand was, um, was that it wasn't a case of people or targeting people 
who could the only the people who could afford to buy a Ferrari. It was actually about targeting everybody who had an aspiration to drive a Ferrari one day. Because what that did was it raised the allure for those who could afford it in order to make them feel more special about themselves. So it's not about it's not necessarily about targeting the obvious people. It's sometimes about looking at that aspirational quality of your product if it is in a luxury category. And another example that springs to mind is Red Bull, who you would expect being a more premium drink than anything else uh, in its category, certainly from a price point perspective, to be only for a particular segment of the market, LSM 9 or 10 or you know 8 and above. But Actually, their most lucrative market, as I understand it, I may be wrong, but I've, I've, I have it in, in authority that it's um, there's a you know there's there's a, a, an aspirational market of the lower LSMs because you know they can't afford a, a Ferrari or a Mercedes or you know, an expensive car, but they can afford a Red Bull. So to walk around with a Red Bull in their hands, all of a sudden gives them that status, uh, you know, that, that aspirational quality that all of a sudden, you know, by spending a little bit more, they can attain fairly easily. So it's a huge part of their targeting to target that, that audience. Mm-hmm. Really great answer to that. Um, it really stumps quite a few people, I think. Well, look, let's, um, let's talk about entrepreneurship in general. Um, so to start with, in your view, yeah. why do you think most businesses fail in the first 12 months? Okay, so there's several reasons, and I mean, I, I think there's loads of reasons, but in my mind, the biggest one is not understanding why you're in business. So if you do not understand, in other words, building a, a business around an offering that that doesn't have a problem to solve, there's no clear purpose or reason for being, you know, if, you, if you're a hammer without a nail to punch in, then I think you're going to fail. There's no two ways about it. So I think Simon uh, Sinek does that talk about, uh, it's a TED talk, it's a six-minute TED talk. If, if you haven't seen it, I think everybody watching the show needs to see it. It talks about why, what, and how of, uh, of running your business. And right at the center is, uh, is why. Why are you in business? And answering that question is fundamentally important to, to entrepreneurship and being successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a second thing which which uh, you know I've stumbled into, I think every entrepreneur will stumble into, is is actually doing stuff that you're not supposed to do. So, you know, actually learning to say no to stuff that you shouldn't be doing. And then I think um, another one of big ones for me uh, would be not having a clear balance between admin operations and marketing. So if you look at any struggling business, you always see if you look at it in the context of say three circles that need to be equally sized, you would, you know, you would put admin operations and marketing, you'd see in the struggling business, you'd maybe have a big operation circle, you know, maybe a, a half the size of that would be admin and then a tiny little bite marked or they would have a massive circle for marketing small operations and tiny, tiny admin. So it's that, that balance of those three circles. Admin operations and marketing need to be equally tended to. And you see, particularly in startups, you'll see there's, a, there's always or often, very often, a disproportionate balance between those three. Mm, that's really great. Um, you mentioned the why. And it's like, interestingly, it's a question I always ask entrepreneurs. Um, yeah. And but what's your why as an entrepreneur? What gets you out of bed in the morning? 
So I think it's very much a case of moving from being a digital agency to becoming an innovation agency. We've spoken a lot about innovation. I think in my world, you know, the old model is broken and it's, it's unless you're a big agency. And I mean, I, I look at some of my peers and I really admire some of the guys, what they're doing. You know, I love what King James are doing. I love what RGA are doing. I mean, there's a bunch of, there's some agencies in, in South Africa, like I think Native are doing some great work at the moment. Yeah. I think, you know, they're, they're doing the basics really well. But I believe that for Worldwide Creative to succeed, we need to evolve into what we would term an innovation agency. And what I mean by that is affecting positive change to our clients by partnering with them in an innovative sense. Okay, awesome, Paul. Listen, in terms of your entrepreneurial journey, um, and I suppose this is true for many entrepreneurs, we always have to make tough decisions. But in your case, what's the toughest decision you've ever made? And what did you learn from it? Sure. Um, that's, that's another great question. I think um, the, the, there's actually two, I would say. The, the, probably the biggest one would be to a number of years back, we were in a very good position uh, financially. Um, and we, we, got a, we got a lead for a big gambling account and um, and we, we we had a few conversations and they offered us the business and it was worth it was going to double our business and I think um, it was a case of having to scrutinize the uh, I suppose the nature of our prospective partner the people that we were going to do business with and we weren't really happy with their um, I suppose their you know, the ethos and, and the ethical foundations of their company. Yeah. So we had to do a lot of introspection and we turned away the business and it would have been, it would have been very uh, profitable for us. But I, you know, I think the lesson that we learned from that is that like I can sleep at night <laughs> and I, um, you know, it was, it was tough. It, I mean, I won't lie. It was genuinely tough, but it was definitely the right decision. And I think from a sustainable perspective, I think it's far better to do, to do business for, for, from the, you know, for the right reasons and ethical reasons than, uh, than just surely for, for profit. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, look, I think sleeping at night for, for entrepreneurs is something we don't often get to do, especially when we're starting out. <laughs> so taking on sleep, yeah. sleep is good. Sleep oh, yeah. is good. What is sleep? It's this thing the, that you call sleep. <laughs> I'm in the sleep camp. I prefer this to, yeah. to do, you know, questionable ethics around client acquisition. But uh, anyway, so, so, so I think that uh, I think we have literally one minute to spare. But uh, Fred, thanks so much for your time today. It's been really great um, unpacking creativity and innovation with you. Um, if um, anybody wants to reach out to you, maybe they have questions or, I don't know, just wanted to check out more around what you do, um, where, where can they go? Is there an email? Is there a website? Sure. Easy stuff. Uh, Fred at www.co.za is my email address. Twitter is at Fred underscore road, R-O-E-D. Uh, and then obviously our website is www.co.za. Our Heavy Chef platform is heavychef.com. And then uh, my personal website is fredroad.com. Awesome. Thanks again, Fred, for your time and wishing you all the best for the rest of the cool. year. 
Thanks so much, mate. It's been a pleasure. Okay, pal. Take it easy, mate. Ciao, ciao. Remember that the show is now on iTunes, so please head on over and either write us a review or subscribe for new episodes. And if you'd like to be an exclusive real-time participant on our next Digital Kung Fu live show, then visit our website at digitalkungfu.co.za forward slash live to get early bird VIP access. Thanks for listening to the Digital Kung Fu Show. If you'd like to check out more episodes and get access to our growing community of entrepreneurs working together to succeed in business, then please visit our website at www.digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.